Wonderful. Um, I'd love you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning to Matthew 5, let me just say a particular well, well done to the students who've been away on a weekend away this weekend. Um, I don't imagine you've had a lot of sleep, sleeping on a church floor for the last two nights. So um, well done for being here, and um, I'll forgive you if you drift off. But the rest of us. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5. Now, before I read um, our verses for today, I, I do just want to say that as I've thought about the Sermon on the Mount this week, um, which is really about the kingdom of heaven, it struck me that the kingdom of heaven is really unlike anything else. Um, and I, this might sound flippant, but just go with me for a second. In particular, I was thinking it's very unlike the Chelsea Flower Show. Okay, so I've never been to the Chelsea Flower Show, just to put that out there. But the Chelsea Flower Show is beautiful, and you can go and you can look at it. And you can walk around, I imagine, and say, that's lovely. And then you can go home, and it makes very, very little difference. You might, for a week, do a little bit more gardening. But basically, it will make very little difference to your life. And my... I guess my fear is that perhaps I might think the kingdom of heaven is a bit like that. That I come to church and I hear about it and I say, oh, that's really lovely. And I look at it and I think, oh, that's really beautiful and that sounds great. But then I go home and it doesn't really make any difference to my life at all. What we're going to read today, I think, will help us to see that the kingdom of heaven just doesn't work like that. The kingdom of heaven is so all-pervasive that it will touch every single area of your life. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, wanting to follow him, you will find there is not one part of your life that is left unchanged, if you will let him. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and you're just kind of checking things out. Well, let me be upfront with you. If you follow Jesus, he will change everything about your life. And that means that there is no subject that is off limits for Jesus in what he teaches on. And in many ways, what we looked at last week and this week, really Jesus gets about as personal as it can get. So I want to say before I read these words, that I'm aware that there are many people in this room for who these are deeply painful, hard words to hear. I'm not treating this flippantly, okay? This is not some light-hearted, motivational speech to make us all feel good. This is real life. Jesus is going to talk about issues of divorce, about marriage, about adultery. And for some of us, those are not abstract ideas. They're very real experiences. And I want you to know that as we start this, I'm praying for you. And that actually together... I want us to listen to what Jesus says. What is his kingdom like? And we're just going to read a very few verses, and then we're going to try and unpack it together. But I know that sitting here this afternoon, we have all sorts of different experiences. Some of us are married and are finding it tough. Some of us are single and would love to be married. Some of us have chosen to be single, and it's hard Some of us might experience same-sex attraction. 
and therefore have chosen to obey Jesus and walk his way, even at great personal cost to ourselves. Some of us have experienced divorce close to hand. I, I get that. And so I, I, I want you to know that I'm not preaching with a kind of thinking this doesn't matter. I know it does. And with that in mind, let's listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, as we just spend some time thinking about these words, please, would your spirit help us to see what is going on here and help us to understand in such a way that our hearts might be captivated by the kingdom of heaven and might choose to follow Jesus and walk in his ways. Lord, please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's our main theme this afternoon. We're going to be talking about marriage. And if immediately you begin to think, well, I'm not married or this isn't relevant, believe me, it is. I think it's going to show you things that are really important. And just to give you a heads up, towards the end, I'm going to invite someone up and interview them, someone who's not married, about why this matters for someone who's not married, okay? So that's where we're we're heading. But it's important for us to get a little bit of a, a, a sense of the sort of tide that Jesus was swimming in. What was happening? What, what was the views of marriage in the days of Jesus? What was it like? Well, that's what Jesus quotes here. Jesus says, this is what you've been taught. Okay, here he is teaching this great sermon. He's teaching the principles of the kingdom. He's teaching the values. He's been teaching them that, that his kingdom takes the Old Testament law and fulfills it such that murder becomes anger and adultery says kind of lust in your heart. This is what Jesus is teaching, and he's going to do the same thing here, but in a slightly different way. And what he says, he says, this is what you've been taught. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Right? That's, what you, that's what you, that's what Jesus says to the crowd, that's what you've been taught. Now, we need to do a bit of work here, okay? And we're going to have to do a bit of work. I'm sorry, but we have to understand what's going on to really get this. Here's my first point, and I'll explain it. Jesus says that the people of his day, the religious leaders of his day, we'll have the first point, says that a concession has become an excuse. Okay? Let me explain what I mean. What Jesus quotes in uh, verse 31 is from Deuteronomy 24. Now, if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Deuteronomy 24 because you need to see something. Deuteronomy 24. It's on page 201 if you've got one of the church Bibles. Right, remember, okay, you have heard it said, Jesus said, quoting their their religious leaders, 
Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Right, let's see if we can find that in Deuteronomy 24, shall we? Let's play Spot the Verse. I'll read it. You see if you can find it. Here we go. Chapter 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance that sounds a little bit more than what the people were being told this is why we've got to do some work this is one of only two places in the whole of God's law where he talks about the issue of divorce and what does he say about divorce now I know that this sounds I know that it sounds really strong and odd to our ears but you've just got to do the work with me okay Jesus, the, 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 this Old Testament law says that there is grounds for divorce. There is a concession that God makes that allows for divorce. And the, the concession is that the wife becomes displeasing to him and he finds something indecent about her. Okay. Because that raises a big question. What is the indecent thing that makes grounds for divorce? Do you understand this? What has to have happened in order for divorce to be allowed according to the law? I know this is technical, but it really matters. And what happens is that two readings of that verse have grew up in Jewish understanding of this verse. And one of them took this and said, well, this is terrific. Men said, this is terrific. Women didn't say this is terrific. It's not. But men did. This is terrific. This means that if I find myself in a marriage that isn't really going very well, all I have to do is find something indecent, and therefore, I'm off the hook. I could divorce. And there was a whole school of teaching, rabbinic teaching, that grew up that began to list the sort of things that made indecent a reason for divorce. Things like being too noisy. Things like burning the food. These became the reason that you could divorce your wife. On the basis of God's law. You see how brilliant this is? Brilliant, not brilliant. You see how twisted this is? That people take this law and they begin to use it as an excuse to condone sin. To condone divorce. But there was another reading which said that no, 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 no. The indecent thing is adultery. And only adultery. The indecent thing is if you are married to a woman and she has an affair and runs off with someone else, then there is a concession for divorce. 
Now, do you see those are very, very different, right? I hope you can see how different those are. And these two schools of thought were bubbling along. Now, by the time you get to Jesus' day, Jesus is wading into that debate. It becomes even more clear in Matthew 19. Don't worry about turning to it, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, came to Jesus and they said to him, listen to it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Do you hear it? Jesus, is that the law that I can divorce my wife for any reason and every reason? What? Is that God's law? But that's where it had got to, because what they'd done is they'd taken a concession and they turned it into an excuse. God's law was never about giving an excuse for men to mistreat women and to abuse that position and to declare a divorce for any and every reason. That was never what God's law was about. And yet that is what it had become. It's a little bit like, so um, what, what, what Jesus says is, this, this is a concession, it's a permission, it's not a command. It's a little bit like when I was at school, um, we had a smoking area at my school. <laughs> right? there, was an, there was a little space where if you wanted to smoke, you had to smoke in this bit of the school. We've come a long way, I understand. This is a long time ago. And so all the people who wanted to smoke went and had to smoke in this one little area. You weren't allowed to smoke anywhere else but just in this one area. Now imagine someone came to the principal and said, why are you encouraging all the kids to smoke? Why are you commanding the kids to smoke? They'd say, I'm not. What I'm doing is I know that the kids will smoke, so what I'm trying to do is to restrict the damage that that will cause by limiting it to one area. It's a damage limitation device, <laughs> not an excuse that people, you know, I go, oh, actually, I'm going to go and have a smoke between the, behind the bike shed because it seems to be okay because I can smoke over here, so I might as well bike smoke over there as well. And what you find when God talks like this about divorce, what he's doing is he is damage limitation. It is a damage limitation law where God is trying to protect the havoc that the human heart wreaks. We saw this last week, that the human heart is prone to fracturing everything. We break relationships. We mess things up. We cause such damage in in our closest of relationships. And, and God knew that that was in the human heart when it came to marriage. So God said, look, as a concession, I will. there is a small way that you can divorce, but it is a concession. It is not a command. Now, I hope you can see that. As I've reflected on that this week, it's made me realize how often I take, I make excuses in all sorts of areas of my life. I take what God says and I sort of just go, well, I'll make an excuse for that. Well, of course, God doesn't really mind about that and he doesn't really mind about that. 
He does. He really does. And to take concessions that are designed to restrict damage and to turn them into excuses to do whatever you want, Jesus says, no. That is not how my kingdom that is not how my kingdom works. So that's verse 31. Anyone who divorces wife must give her a certificate of divorce. You've heard it said that, but, verse 32, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus is going to do now is he's going to take that horrible twisted view which puts all the agency do you notice this it puts all the agency on the men and it puts women in a desperately vulnerable position you can be divorced anytime you like by some bloke who's just decided that you're too noisy and you can be cast out into a culture where actually that was to be divorced was to be devastated you, you lost all your support all of your protection And Jesus is going to say, no, we protect. No, that is not, that is not how God's law works. And Jesus is going to do something very beautiful. And what we need to see now then is the bigger story of what marriage is. You see, in Matthew 19, right, when they come to him and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He's brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. Do you know what he says to them? <laughs> he says, haven't you read the Bible? What a great answer. He's talking to the religious leaders, the Bible teachers of the day. Those who want to take God's law and make it into excuse. He goes, haven't you read the Bible? And then what he does is he doesn't take them back to, Genesis, to Deuteronomy 24. He takes them back to Genesis chapter 2. He says, no, let's, okay, let's talk about marriage then, shall we? You want to talk about divorce? I want to talk about marriage. You want your twisted excuse for how you can abuse women and chuck them off when they get difficult for you. No, let's talk about what marriage is really about, shall we? And that's my second big point, is that what we see is that there's a beauty in marriage that reflects the very heart of God. When God established marriage, it was to reflect something of his very own character. I read something this week which I found really helpful. And it said that behind all of the laws of God, there's an ideal, right? There's an ideal that's sort of been lost, that therefore it needs the law. And if we could get back to the ideal, you wouldn't need the law anymore, right? So so this law about divorce and remarriage, it's sort of there because there's an ideal that's been lost, So what is the ideal? That's what Jesus wants to say. He says, let's go beyond the law. Let's get beyond the concession back to the ideal, the pattern, the picture, the beauty that God first established. We haven't got time to do masses of this in detail, but I just want to spell it out for you because it's so radically beautiful and so different to what our world says. When God created humanity, he made a human being A dam, a human, made out of the dust of the ground. But there was only one. 
And God said it's not good for the man to be alone. And so God created a partner, someone to come alongside him. And it's beautiful the way he did it, right? He put the man into a deep sleep. And then he took a rib out of his side. Have you ever had a rib taken out of your side? No, not many of you. I, I, you know, I always sort of thought in my kind of childish way that when God took the rib, it was sort of like, oh, I'll take a rib. Thank you very much. I'll go and make a woman over here. Sorry, to get a rib out of someone's side takes quite a lot of violence, right? <laughs> quite a lot of, right? You have to make a hole. There's blood, right? So blood pours out. And he takes, God takes a rib, and then it, it says he closed up the place with flesh. So there's the man, like there's a hole in his side as the rib is taken, and then it's closed up, and then God creates the woman out of the side of the man. And then he, God brings the woman to the man and says, this is the woman. And the man looks and says, this, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And there's this incredible oneness that God creates between the man and the woman. Created different. Man and woman, male and female, yet created to be one. Created together to be in partnership. Created to enjoy the good gift of sex for in that one relationship for life. A relationship of covenant love. A relationship where you were committed to one another. Where you were for one another. It's one of the most precious things that there is a covenant within marriage. A commitment between one man and one woman. They commit themselves to one another to be faithful for life. So on the day when I got married, the 14th of August, 1999, on that day, when I got married, I was asked, will you take Linda to be your wife Uh, and all that stuff? And I said, I will. I will. On that day, I said no to every other woman in the world. There was piles of them. I mean... (laughs) They were all queuing outside the church and they all went home weeping. And like, That's it, it's over. That was a joke, they were. But you, right, look, there is a commitment. It is an extraordinary commitment that you have within marriage. A commitment of absolute faithfulness. That's the ideal, God says. That's what it's for. But even that isn't actually the sum total of marriage because what God then does is he says, this marriage thing that I've created, that is going to be the big picture that I use to explain my love for my people. I've created marriage so that you can understand how much I love you. Please track with this, all right? The one 
The marriage of one man and one woman together is a picture, in in covenant faithfulness, is a picture of what God and his people will be. God says, I have loved you. God makes a covenant with his people. God says, I will, I will, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will. And with that resounding I will, the creator God of the universe takes a people and he commits himself to them in love. And he says, you're my people. And I will be faithful to you. I will be faithful. And this is the narrative of the Bible. If you want to know why God cares so much about marriage, it's because marriage is what shows you God's love for his people is like. And God loves them. And he's faithful. He's like a faithful husband to his bride. But the tragedy is that God's people again and again commit adultery. God's people, rather than return that I will with, I will, instead they say, no, I won't. And the covenant people of God run off after other lovers. They run off after other gods. And God forgives them again and again and again. He's faithful. He's faithful until the most shocking thing happens. And to be honest, this floored me this week. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 3. Listen to what God says. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you've lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord? God says, you've been unfaithful to me. Over and over again. Now listen to this in verse 8 of Jeremiah. Verse 7, I I thought after all that she'd done, she'd return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister saw it. I gave, this is the bit, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. God divorced his people. He gave his people a certificate of divorce and sent them away because of their adultery. Remember, that's the only concession. That's the only grounds when divorce is permissible. And God, after patience and patience, the people are sent away. Isn't that heartbreaking? Do you not feel the pain? Do you not think that God... Do you not feel the anguish? The God who loved his people and they rejected him. And if that was the end of the story, we'd say, well, that's, that's sad. But it isn't because God's faithfulness is too strong. God's faithfulness is stronger than our adultery. God's faithfulness is stronger even than divorce. God's faithfulness is so powerful that it grows and it grows and his promises grow and grow until eventually he comes in person. Here comes Jesus in person, God himself. 
God who comes to his people and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus who goes to a cross and as Jesus, the new Adam, the new man, as Jesus is laid in the dust of death, a hole is pierced in his side. Blood flows out of the side of Jesus. And from that blood, God creates a bride. God creates a people for his son. You see, God is so committed to this image of marriage that even when his people commit adultery, even when he gets to the point of divorce of his people, he still has a plan. He still has a purpose. And his purpose is to send his son. And Jesus dies on the cross in order to win God's people back. In order to reestablish the the covenant relationship. And as Jesus rises from the dead, God says, I will love you. And you, right, you, I, I don't care who you are or what you've done. If you come to Jesus, you get caught up in that story. God says, you get to be part of my people. God says, I will love you and I will take you as my own. And I will protect you and I will care for you. This is the great story of marriage. This is why marriage matters. This is why God is so passionate about marriage because marriage is the picture of Jesus and his people who are now called the church. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about a marriage between heaven and earth. It's about a marriage between Jesus and his people where we become his precious people. That's the narrative, right? That's the big story. That's what goes going on in God's heart. And to be honest, that's what marriage is really all about. My marriage to Linda is great, but it's not ultimate. It's not the most important thing. My marriage is a picture of the marriage. And whether or not we experience human marriage in this world, we can and will all, as we come to Jesus, experience the true marriage, the bigger faithfulness of God that he's given us in his son, Jesus. That is why, okay, we're coming back. Sorry, that was a long way off. We're coming back now to verse 32 to land this. That is why Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces... Can you not feel this now? Do you see why Jesus feels this so strongly? I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is my third point. Jesus brings a kingdom that heals and restores what's broken. This messed up view of marriage where I can divorce my wife for any and every reason. As soon as it gets difficult, let's just get rid of it. The kingdom of heaven restores it to back to what it's supposed to be, a covenant relationship. That's what Jesus is teaching. In the kingdom of heaven, divorce is not an option because The marriage of God and his people is what we're reflecting. So I want to say to you, if you're married, as strongly as I can, divorce is not an option. 
love each other. Love each other like God loves his church. Love each other because it matters. Love each other because Jesus is making you new. Lay down your lives for each other. And I know that it can get tough. And I know that it can be painful. And I know that it can be hard. But keep going now. I want to say, I need to say this. This does not mean that if you find yourself in a relationship that is abusive, that you have to stay there. I'm not saying that there is no reason or no opportunity for for you to do something. This is not a reason to stay in an abusive marriage. But this is a reason to stay in the marriage where you're both seeking to work it out in God's strength. So there are, it seems to me, and Christians disagree about this, I know that, but there seem to me that there are legitimate grounds for divorce in some situations. But they're very small. And they should be a last resort, not an excuse. I met a, oh my word, I met a guy once, and he didn't, his marriage wasn't going well. He did decide he didn't want to be married anymore. So he was trying to get his wife to commit adultery so that he could divorce her. Now, obviously, that's wrong, right? Because when we read this, we shouldn't be looking for loopholes and excuses. Oh, can I divorce her yet? Can I get rid of this yet? Can I get rid of, can I divorce him? No, our default should be, no, we made a commitment and we're going to stick together and we're going to keep working at this. And I may need other people to come and help me and I may need other people to bring in wisdom and and, and strength. But I, honestly, our culture just says as soon as marriage gets hard, as soon as it gets difficult, just break up. God says, no, don't. Because I will never break up with you. And in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is calling us to this pattern of living where we reflect the very heart of God. We show what God is like to our world. Now, there's so much more that needs to be said on that. Okay, Honestly, if you've got questions, please come and talk to me. I understand that this is difficult. I'm teaching the big brushstrokes of what, we're, what Jesus is saying. But we're not to make excuses. We're to keep going. Let me say to those of you who aren't married, if marriage becomes an option one day, choose very, very carefully who you marry. Because the promises that you make to that person will last for the rest of your life. It's not something to be taken lightly. And to marry someone who will not help you to grow as a Christian, I promise you, will make your life incredibly hard to live as a Christian. The key question is, will this person help me to love Jesus more and more and more? Can we be partners together in the kingdom of heaven? Can we work together in the kingdom? Only marry someone who, can, who you respect enough to help you to live for Jesus. I'm also aware that for some of us, 
we may never get married. And I know that for some of us, that may be a very painful and hard reality. And I would plead with us as a church family that we would be a family to one another. And that we would find our ultimate contentment in Jesus, the one who will love us faithfully until he takes us home. Guys, these are heavy subjects, right? These are heavy topics. But I, I, I want you to see that Jesus says this because he loves you. Can I just make one other thing clear? Jesus does say here about a man divorcing his wife. If you read Mark's gospel, he flips it around the other way and says a wife, if a wife divorces her husband, except for marital and faith, he does it both ways around. In the kingdom, um, men and women are treated equally in this. Read 1 Corinthians 7. In the kingdom, they're treated equally in this. If there is adultery, there is grounds for divorce. Not, you don't have to divorce if there's adultery. But it seems to me that Jesus does give that permission. Okay, we're going to... Um, Stop there for a second. I'm going to get Ryan to come up, and I just want to ask Ryan a couple of questions. Um, Because I just want to help us to to land this. Let's take a breather. We're all right. Sorry, it's very heavy this afternoon, isn't it? It's like, but it's important, right? It's weighty stuff that we're seeing in Jesus. Um, This is Ryan. If you haven't met Ryan, Ryan is a very, very uh, precious friend. Um, Ryan's one of our ministry trainees as well this year. Um, and Ryan has been very open in the past about the fact that his experience of sexuality is that he's same-sex attracted. Okay? That's, he's, he's been very open about that. That's not a secret to anyone. And therefore, this sort of subject is quite hard, right? <laughs> um, and we were chatting about it this week, and I just, said, I just asked if I could ask him a couple of questions. So firstly, Ryan, what do you find hard in this area of marriage and singleness and you know, your, your perspective on that? Is that all? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've got four things, I think, that I'll try and be brief about why I think I find teaching on marriage hard. I think the first thing I find hard about it is because I actually found it really disappointing when I became a Christian because I didn't grow up Christian. I experienced same-sex attraction. So my whole upbringing was, you know, there's nothing that you can't have that someone who's heterosexual can't have. That means marriage isn't off-limits. And so... That means that I basically spent a life imagining that I would, you know, build a home with someone. It meant I, you know, and I was seeing as I was kind of wrestling this out and kind of coming to terms with my sexuality, I was seeing same-sex marriage get legalized across the world, 2013 in the UK, 2015 in the US. And so it was just kind of confirming this. It was just building up a picture of, yeah, you're entitled to this. Um, then I went to uni and became a Christian, which is not really part of my plan. And as in, it just, you know, uh, I'm glad it happened, by the way. Um, but it definitely wasn't how I imagined my life to go. And so I'm just trying to say, like, I had a vision for how my life was going to go. And that being a Christian really wasn't part of it. And when I, you know, became a Christian and wrestled out, like, what does God, like Johnson's already said, teach about marriage? It's, you know, it's between a man and a woman, which... You know, it means it's not in God's will for me. Um, That was hard, and it was disappointing because it meant that I was, you know, consciously going to be deciding for the sake of the gospel 
to say no to things that I had spent years dreaming I would have. And they're not like, oh, you know, I kind of want like a new phone or whatever. It's like, these are like weighty things that last a lifetime. Um, and, you know, in my mind, when I kind of first thought about this teaching, I was saying no to someone who would choose me first. I was saying no to someone who'd notice if I didn't turn up or was late. I was saying, you know, no to building a life with someone. And, you know, recently, just kind of thinking about the cost of this again, I was saying no to basically raising children with someone I love, which has been like one of the greatest dreams I had and one of the greatest areas of sadness, I suppose, in this. So it's hard. Um, I think I also found it hard because I really didn't understand how, if I'm not going to get married, and that is the only area in which you express your sexuality, how could it actually be good? How could it be said of me that my sexuality was good? How could it be said that it was a good gift? And, you know, talk to me about that afterwards if you want. I don't want to drone on too long, but I would, that was a misunderstanding. Um, thirdly, I found marriage, like this teaching hard because it's really exposed something in my heart. And I think particularly, um, you know, I'm now kind of after several years wrestling in a place where, you know, I can say I genuinely and, and kind of believe it and joyfully say, I don't think I lack for anything. Um, and I really like, you know, I find the Psalm 16 incredibly beautiful and helpful. And there's language in it that says, the psalmist says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I just, I think it took me a long time to get there, but, you know, I'm kind of speaking from that place, but on the journey there, I think it exposed how I find it really hard to celebrate other people having a good thing that I wasn't having. And that was hard. So I'd get several invitations to a wedding every year, like from about the year I graduated till kind of now. Um, and the first couple of times I went to a wedding, I was like, really like, yay, this is great. And, you know, it was definitely a journey. But, um, and yeah, just kind of coming back to that sense of entitlement. So it exposed something in me. And then the fourth thing that I think I found kind of really hard and it confronted is that it challenged like what I thought the nature of being Christian is. Like we've talked about being a disciple and following Jesus. But I don't think I had room, in my view, of following Jesus for it to be hard and good. And Jesus comes to say, following me is, you know, saying yes to me is the simplest thing, but it's also going to cost you your life. And I don't think I had room for that in my uh, view of following him. That's such a helpful point. That just because something's hard, it doesn't mean it's not good. That's, wow. Uh, um, tell us then, what, what are some things that have helped you in, in that sort of pain, the area that you, you, you feel? Yeah, so I think you've sort of touched on one already, which is actually seeing what marriage is for. Because um, when you see what marriage is for, you know that it's kind of a model for something. And you don't need to feel down. I'm not trying to say it's not hard, by the way. But you don't need to feel down about not having the model if you're going to inherit the reality. Um, so that is something that's really helpful. I think the second thing is sometimes just seeing like a hard choice that you make or a sacrifice that you make be validated is 
I don't really know why it helps, but it does. Um, and a little bit later in that chapter, um, Matthew 19, Jesus, at the end of that passage, where he's talking with the religious leaders, he'll go on to say um, that there are kind of eunuchs, so people who are like saying no to that kind of expressing their sexuality, and he'll say, and he just kind of mentions those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so he just sees the sacrifice that you're making, and it's, and it's okay to not find it easy. Um, so that is helpful. Um, and thirdly, I think, you know, I was asked recently, um, what is a Christian? Uh, someone said someone who follows Jesus, and I can't disagree with that. That's true. But I think I'd also add to that, a Christian is someone who says, but the best is yet to come, because no matter how good any single day is that you live now, and eternity is going to be better. And so you live looking forward and you say, you know, take like Paul's words and you say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, and so learning to kind of lament. And we were discussing as a staff team uh, in a book we're reading and, you know, Christians kind of groan, but like the world groans and it just looks back to what's been lost. Christians groan forwards. And so that helps a lot, <laughs> learning to do that. Brilliant. Okay, uh, one last thing, very quickly. Um, what, what's good about marriage? As you think about marriage, is there anything that you think this is good? Um, yeah, I mean, I, this probably is going to be a, well, an odd statement for me to say, but I think as a single person and someone who's never expecting to be married, I don't need people to stop getting married. <laughs> I don't... Shock, I know. Um, I need people, anyone who's single, I think, needs people to get married... Um, and the reason is something we've already discussed, but, you know, we need people to get married because marriage is the shape of the gospel. It's the Jesus and his church coming together. And there are so many things that are, so many different stories that are being told. And so every day you need to be told the gospel. And, and you know, you can be told the truth. Someone can speak words to you, but someone will, sometimes you just need to see it and it needs to be lived out to you. Um, and so when I see a marriage, that's what I'm witnessing. Um, and so I think I need, yeah, I just need that. And I think also I've been really blessed with people who, you know, kind of use their marriages and their families to bring me in. And like there is, I think there's a psalm somewhere that says God sets the lonely in families. And it's, it has been like a lonely experience at times, but actually marriage is like, friendship is something that you invite people into so Ryan it's so helpful thank you so much um, I really appreciate your honesty um, we're going to wrap this up we're going to take some time now just to reflect on what we've heard um, and whatever your situation um, I'd love you just to respond to what you've heard um, perhaps you are married why not take this moment just to ask that God would help your marriage to reflect more of the gospel Ask that your marriage would be faithful. If you're having trouble in your marriage, please ask for help. Don't wait until you're at the brink of disaster. Ask for help early. And there's lots of people who'd love to help you. Perhaps you're not married. Perhaps you just want to reflect on some of the pain of that. Acknowledge that to God. And ask him to help you to see Jesus um, and to know Jesus as your source of deepest joy. Um, we're going to sing together. Um, a really, a really beautiful song that says, carry me. When I'm weak, you know my need, carry me. 
And perhaps some of us, we feel our weakness in this area. We feel that we've messed up or we feel broken in this area. Well, Jesus will carry you. Um, so just as we take time, if you, if you want to stand and sing, that'd be great. If you'd rather just sit and pray, um, we're going to have communion together. There's going to be some people over by the banner over there that says prayer, um, where you could go and pray with someone if you want to talk about this some more. Lots of people hanging around afterwards to be able to talk and pray about it. But let's stand together and let's encourage each other in the beautiful words of this, this song.